For tonight's story, we present a tale that involves graphic violence, gore, and scenes of horror. If this is something that you do not want to hear, please skip this episode and come back another day for another story. Hello, and welcome to Dinner at Yiffany's with your host, Tekka Mirenhof. This is our first annual Halloween special episode. I know you all are used to my normal intro and outro, but this episode will preclude all of that. Tonight's story concerns a peculiar journal that was discovered inside of a mental institution. Now, for your consideration, The Vessel's Journal, written by Tekka Mirenhof. Day one. I feel so stupid for even picking this thing up. Hello, I guess. My mother bought you to celebrate me finally graduating college and moving into my first real place on my own. (laughs) Said I should also write my name down and a bit about myself as well. Guess there's no harm. And at least if she asks sometime later, I can say that I did write in you. Feel so childish, or Lord forbid, she finds this after I die or something. My name is Edgar Samsby. I'm a 26-year-old zebra that's recently graduated college with a bachelor's in culinary arts. Just glad my father finally came around to the fact that I didn't take a focus in herbivore cuisine. And all of my friends certainly thought it was strange that I wanted to just do a general degree, but whatever. I don't mind. Figure we've all got to eat, so why not make as many people happy as I can? We've all got to go at some point as well, so why not? Besides, it's not like it was a hundred years ago. I'm getting off track here. This is supposed to be for me to record how things are going each day so that, according to my mother, look back with a sense of awe at how much you got to where you currently are. Said she picked it up from some antique shop on the way here when her and dad came to visit earlier today. The cover of this thing looks ancient, but it was completely blank. She only paid five bucks or so. Like something right out of the last century since I mentioned it a bit ago. Kind of funny to think about how far we've really come since way back when. Guess my little break is getting a bit long. Still plenty of boxes to unpack. Just hoping I can get the bed set up before it gets too late. Besides unpacking, I gotta start looking for a job. My parents, being the worrisome herd they are, said they'd help with rent and utilities until I could get on my feet here. They even paid my deposits. Probably going to hold it against me when I don't call or visit. Oh, and I still need to cook. Better break open the kitchen boxes first. Guess I'll write a bit more tomorrow. Bye? Day 2 It's 8 a.m. on Tuesday, and I don't know if it's because I'm in a new place or what, but I had a hard time sleeping last night. Probably didn't help that apparently one of my neighbors is a hyena with a rather unpleasant laugh. Oh, and the icing on the cake? He likes comedies. That was just one thing weighing on me last night. Still kind of feel silly riding in this thing. At least... I was a little excited to write down what all happened, but now it doesn't seem as intriguing. My headache from my poor sleep doesn't help either. 
I'll have to see if I can find some meds or something. I know there's some in one of these boxes. And guess what else didn't happen last night? For the first time in what feels like forever, I ordered takeout. I've spent so much time learning and prepping and cooking that last night I just didn't have it in me. Never really occurred to me how heavy some of my stuff was until I was moving it all around by myself. Probably should have bribed some friends to help me move with pizza and beer. I did manage to at least get all of the boxes to the rooms they needed to be in. And though it doesn't count really as cooking, I did make some sweet tea. My parents brought some groceries with them so my cupboards weren't completely barren. One of the few delicacies that I've never been able to get rid of since moving off to college. Hopefully, over the next couple of days, I'll get to meet the other neighbors. It's a small place with only four apartments and not in the greatest part of town. But after seeing the ad and price, I couldn't say no. From the bedroom, there's a great overview of the local park. Sort of reminds me of home. Now I'm getting nostalgic. While the grasslands were a wonderful place, it certainly lacked something. Mainly things to do for fun. After writing yesterday, I got about half of the boxes sort of unpacked. Struggled to figure out where I wanted to put things, but I'm sure I'll sort it out eventually. Back home, I was told where to put things. This is my place. I'll put them where I damn well please once I figure out where that place is. Well, enough goofing off for today. Yesterday, I thought riding in this thing was going to be a waste, but it's almost therapeutic. Midday update. So it's around 5 p.m., and I just wanted to make a quick note about meeting my downstairs neighbor. Not sure how old he is, but he's a boa. Looked like he'd been around forever, though. Spoke in a raspy voice and kind of gave me the creeps. Went out to my car earlier to get my earbuds, and he was coming back from the store, it looked like. I imagine it's difficult not having any arms or legs. I did help him get into the building so he didn't have to put his bags down, but when I offered to help him into his apartment, he almost seemed to get agitated that I even suggested it. Whatever, as long as he doesn't cause me any issues. I gotta get back at it or I'll never finish. So far, the living room, if it can be called that, the bathroom and kitchen are sorted. Again, mostly. Might move the spoons and forks to one of the other drawers. Also, I need to figure out where the closet... Also, I need to figure out where the closest laundromat is. Bye for now. Day 3 Well, last night wasn't nearly as rough. Managed to fall asleep around 11pm last night while watching the movie Grains of Deceit. It's an older movie about a ranch hand who is leading a double life as a secret agent and has to decide which family is more important to him. Well, that's a simple description, but I won't spoil it for any future readers. Let's just say that Elliot McIngle is a brilliant actor. Not many chickens do well in action movies, but he really owns it. Also, I wanted to write down a dream I had last night. One of those strange dreams that feel very real. I was in a small room with only a bed, and I was strapped down. Then a doctor and a nurse came in trying to talk to me, but... I couldn't understand anything that they were saying. Next thing I knew, they were giving me an injection, and I passed back out and jolted awake in my bed. The clock said it was about three in the morning. Fell right back to sleep, though. Just thought it was kind of strange. 
They say anxieties can make you have strange dreams, and I've certainly got a bit of anxiety right now. I mean, I mean, I've got enough money for a while, but I worry I won't find a job. It's the whole reason I moved here, though. I, I figured big city equals lots of jobs. As soon as I cook a bit of breakfast, I'll start looking now that the apartment is mostly squared away. Update. It's around 10 p.m. right now, and I met the neighbor across the hall from me. I was feeling a little closed up, so about four, I decided to take a stroll through the park behind the apartments. Decently nice park, but that's not important. What is important is who my neighbor is. Sheila White. She was a junior when I was a freshman. I was walking back to the apartment, and she was just finishing a jog, and we got to the door about the same time. She still looked just as wonderful today as she did four years ago, and what a body. Anyways, we chatted for about 15 minutes. Said she saw someone moving in and was curious about who it might be. Of course, through the conversation, she realized we went to the same college. Her major was in biology, and she was now working for an independent lab. When I told her I graduated with a culinary arts degree, she kind of smirked and said I'd have to cook for her sometime. It sent me over the moon. I feel like an idiot, but I was just a stammering mess after that. That's one deer that I wouldn't mind getting to know a little better. If you're reading this, Mom, I'm sorry. Regardless, I've got to hit the hay. Should really find a routine and stick to it, though I fear that my first job is going to be a late shift. Whatever, just have to get my foot in the door and I'll be golden. And Sheila... Maybe? Probably not the best time to jump into anything like that. At least, not a serious thing. Anyways, enough for today. Day 4 Well, this is embarrassing. I've definitely got to find a laundromat today. I had another strange dream, but it wasn't scary. Oh no, quite the opposite, and something I've not done since my college fling with Lisa Walters. I'll start by saying I jizzed all over the fucking bed, and... I hope like hell I don't have to buy a new bedding. So the dream, man. Oh, I don't even know where to start. I was in the park behind the apartments, just sitting on a bench when Sheila came walking up, but completely naked. If she's anything like what I dreamed, oh. But she had this big strap on attached to a belt. She then demanded that I turn around and drop my pants. And without a thought, I, I did. She then started slapping my ass with this massive dildo and I could feel her pouring lube in between my ass cheeks. So suddenly, I could feel the pressure of it starting to penetrate me slowly. After she got it all the way in, she grabbed my mane, turned my head so I could see her and she looked at me as if she was about to fuck the soul out of me. The only thing that was strange about the dream is it was completely silent, like my last dream. Several times when I looked at her, I could see her mouth moving, but I couldn't hear her. After felt like an eternity of various positions, I was finally laying on my back on the bench, Dick waving around as she pounded me good. And just as I was about to come, she took the entire thing into her mouth, all the way down her throat, and I could see her ribcage shift when I flared. After that, she slowly backed off of my dick and slowly pulled out. Actually, now that I think about it, there was a sound. Right as I orgasmed, I started hearing a car alarm. That car alarm was my 
alarm clock on my phone. I guess a dream can't last forever. Oh well. On to other news. I got a reply for one of my applications this morning. Ha! <laughs> Denied. This listing has already been filled, but feel free to keep an eye out for other opportunities in the future. What a joke. I'm not so bedazzled by Greg and Son's family grill. What self-respecting professional chef would work there? Whatever, maybe I'll hear back from the other places. I better get on the great laundromat hunt, or this bedding will be ruined if not already shot. Daily update. Apparently, I can't get enough of riding in this damn thing. So guess who I ran into once I found the laundromat? The hyena that lives under Sheila. As soon as I walked in, he said, Hey, you're that new tenant. I hadn't had a chance to meet you in person yet. Turns out, he's the owner and the maintenance guy of the apartment building. Kind of a quirky guy, to be honest. Said he'd bought the building about 15 years ago, and this is the first time all of the apartments have been filled at one time. I did mention the laughing from my first night there, and according to him, he wasn't even home that night. Maybe it was my boa neighbor watching something loudly on his TV. After chatting with him for a bit, my bedding was done and we parted ways. I couldn't help but notice that he stared at me the entire time I was gathering my things and continued to do so as I packed up my car. Again, kind of quirky, but he seems innocent enough. On a positive note, my bedding has fared very well after last night's nocturnal emissions, luckily. When I stripped the bedding off, it didn't appear that any soaked down to the mattress, so at least I don't have to worry about that. Headed off again. The bed won't make itself, and I'm pretty tired. Day 5 I almost don't know where to begin. Had another strange dream last night. This time, I was sitting in a room with a circle of people, kind of like what you would see on TV of a group therapy session. Again, there wasn't any sound, but... What made it strange is the doctor was my downstairs neighbor, the boa. The nurse was Sheila, and the only other person I recognized was Les, my landlord. He was a patient sitting across from me. The entire dream, I could see different mouths moving, but no words. Just trying to remember it makes my head hurt. Nothing really happened, but it, it's all just a haze. Eventually, we all got up from our chairs, and that was it. I woke up. What the fuck is wrong with me? I, I don't remember having these strange dreams back in college. I think maybe I'll go for a walk in the park again today. Seems the last time I did that, I had a wonderful dream. I could certainly go for one of those right now. Maybe Sheila will show up again wearing a nurse outfit this time. I guess now I should write about the good news I got this morning. Leon Citron wants to hire me for his new restaurant here in town. Citron Leon Restaurante. Apparently, the college I went to was asked to provide a list of promising chefs. Apparently, the college I went to was asked to provide a list of promising chefs that graduated recently, and my name was on the list. I'm supposed to go tomorrow for an interview and skill exam. I'm hoping that I'm able to sleep tonight, though. Given the last few nights, it might be hit or miss. I suppose I should be thankful. I've been in this new place for five days now, and I've got most of my affairs in order. I've got food, shelter, and a job. Well, potential job, that is. Yeah, a walk in the park is what I need today. 
I didn't go over to the lake side of the park the other day. Maybe I'll go over there and stare across the water for a while. Update. Guess who I ran to at the lake? None other than Sheila, and it was magical! We're supposed to have a little get-together tomorrow evening, but I'll get to that in a minute. I found a nice, quiet spot on the shaded side of the lake, and as soon as I sat down, I saw her. She was buck naked. Well, I guess doe naked, but whatever. She was just going for a late day swim in the middle of this lake. It was a good thing the place was empty or she could have gotten into serious trouble. She was so graceful in the water. Every stroke of her arms and legs seemed to just glide through the water with ease. It was captivating. Well, that was until she saw me staring at her like some stalker. She just froze and stared back at me for what felt like a lifetime. I guess she realized who I was and slowly swam back to the shore trying her best to cover up. As she got closer, I offered her my jacket to at least cover up with while she got her clothes. I can't lie. I watched her get dressed as sneakily as I could. Oh my lord, she is beautiful. Anyway, she came back with my jacket and we sat talking until just before the sun was fully down. Not wanting to seem like a creep, I explained to her what I was even doing out there and she understood. Just, you know, kinda happened. I told her about my job offer, too. She seemed excited about that. She told me about some of her work stuff and how this girl she had been seeing decided to break it off. Never figured she was a lesbian, but hey, whatever. We can still be friends, I suppose. And being the gentleman that I am, being so close to dark and all, I offered to walk her back to her place. She got a good chuckle out of that one. We kept walking and talking about various stuff until we got to her place. And then it happened. Hey, Edgar, you think we could hang out sometime? I thought I was going to explode with excitement, but I played it cool and just said, Sure, name the time and place. And to that, she said, Tomorrow, your place, while giving me a sly look up and down. What the fuck did I do to deserve all this good luck? A job offer and a chance to get laid on the same day? Oh, I'll need to prepare something special not only for the exam tomorrow, but dinner as well. Once again, good night, my faithful, inanimate companion. Maybe this antique journal is blessed with good luck or something. Day 6 This is my journal and my reality. You are just a vessel. Day 7 I'm just going to skip day 6. It's, it's already 1am and so much has happened. I don't even have time to write it down so I'll just start at the beginning. Woke up this morning after a great night's sleep. No weird dreams, no dreams at all apparently. Anyway, shit, showered, cleaned up for the interview. Knocked it out of the park, man. Leon was a super awesome guy too. I was expecting some high and mighty chef with his head up his own ass, but he was just down to earth. He did make a comment about how rare it is to see an herbivore not sticking to veggies and fruits, but he didn't seem to mind. I mean, he is a lion after all. Regardless, he was impressed at my knowledge and skills. And the best part? He's made me a sous chef! Like, wow! I wasn't top of my class or anything like that. Average at best. I don't start until next week though. 
The place still has a bunch of work that needs to be finished before the grand opening. Man, I can't wait! So, now on to earlier this evening. I've not had a night like that in forever, and it was really nice to just have someone to hang out with. Sheila came over around 6 p.m. I mean, she didn't have far to go. Her apartment door is like 15 feet from my door. Anyway, she was a little timid when she first came in, but warmed up quickly. Showed her around the place. She especially liked my fancy kitchen stuff and made a comment about how she had never seen a spice rack like mine before. While dinner cooked, we played a little board game that I had brought from college. It was certainly a lot more fun playing with Sheila compared to that jock Anderson Colby from the football team. At least Sheila understands basic math. We got so caught up playing piggy list that I almost forgot about dinner. Luckily, it was just slightly overcooked. Sheila certainly didn't seem to mind and seemed to really love it. After we ate and had a little conversation, we decided the best way to top off the evening was to watch a movie on Planesmov. I always thought that was a terrible name for an internet movie service, but regardless, we both knew where the night was going. We found some cheesy-looking movie from a while back. I can't even remember the title. I don't think we were even 10 minutes in before our clothes started to come off, though. It's strange. Even though I had seen her in all of her glory at the lake, she looks so much more beautiful now. With the glow of the television behind her, she looked almost angelic as it shined through her tan coat. She first got on top of me, and we began to kiss as we each explored the other's body with our hands. As her breast rubbed against my chest, I could feel myself getting hard with anticipation. I could feel her ass rubbing against my shaft before she stopped and took a quick look behind her. She said, I've seen zebra cock on the internet, but never in real life. It's bigger than I thought. Then she gave me a little chuckle. I want to try to give you a blowjob, she said with a giggle and smirk. All I could do was nod my head. I thought I was about to realize the dream I had a few days ago, and just like in my dream, she slowly managed to get my entire member down her throat. It was possibly the greatest thing I've ever experienced, especially watching my flare expand. She stared me directly in the eyes for the entire thing, too. After that, though, I was spent. But she wasn't going to let me off the hook so easily. She climbed up on the couch, forced my head back, and gave me a mouthful of her own. I've never been with a deer before, but it was kind of hot being bossed around by a lady. She rode my face for at least 15 minutes as I used my tongue and fingers. And just as she was starting to orgasm, she grabbed my head and said, Don't you fucking stop! That was almost enough to get me hard again. Afterwards, though, we just kind of laid on the couch holding each other while some other movie came on. I guess we passed out, though. I came back in here to write everything down after carrying her to my bed. I hope it's big enough for the both of us to sleep comfortably. I guess it's lucky she lives right across the hall, but I figured why bother when I've got a bed here. Maybe in the morning I'll cook up some breakfast or something. Anyways, that's all. I've got to be the luckiest son of a mare alive. Today was the perfect day. After reading the last line... The detective laid down the antique leather-bound journal on his desk as he breathed in deep and let out a sigh that was sure to have been heard by his secretary in the next room. 
The smoke of his cigarette mixed with the stinging bite of his bourbon, reminding him that this world was rarely fair and sometimes cruel. This was the path that he chose for himself, and getting the facts straight has never been as easy as they make it in the crime shows. As he adjusted and sat up straight, the old chair beneath him creaked and groaned from numerous years of service, almost as if to say it was ready to give up as well. Detective Les Baker stared out the window into the city's glistening lights as the rain continued to come down, and his mind began to wander. How did it come to this? Why? What had really happened? The crime lab was thorough, but even they were having a hard time putting it together. As the old hyena's mind continued to mull over the various details of the case, a knock came at his door. Startled out of his thoughts, Baker snapped his head toward the door, quickly straightened his tie, and said, Yeah, come on in. It's unlocked. His secretary, Stacy Wyndham, had been by Detective Baker's side since the moment he first came to the force some 20 years ago. And even though there had never been anything intimate between the goat and the hyena, she was still just as impeccable as the first time Les laid eyes on her. She was married and faithful to a fault. It was a rare quality these days for sure. Les had even met her husband and children on a few occasions. It was a nice family, untainted by the sins of the city. Les hadn't fared so well on the relationship front, however. The rustic door slowly creeped open as Stacy stepped into the room to introduce two guests, who followed a little behind. Good evening, sir. These are the two that called earlier to discuss your current case. A Dr. Sheila White and her assistant Seth. Uh, I'm sorry, how do you pronounce your last name? The large boa slowly lifted his head high and gave Stacy an almost frightening stare before speaking up. Cicerin, just like it's spelled. Uh, right, Cicerin, Dr. Sheila White and Seth Cicerin. They're from the Psychiatric Evaluation and Treatment Support Unit. Dr. White stepped forward and grabbed the backside of a chair facing Detective Baker's desk. I'm sure we're all aware of why we're here, so let's just get on with it then. I've got plenty of other case files to be working on. Calm down, Sheila. The boa spoke slowly and calmly as he slithered towards the desk. You know this case isn't a normal one. Les thought to himself for a moment. It most certainly wasn't. Yes, I know, the doctor said as she placed a box on the detective's desk. Here are the rest of the journals that we could find. Les grabbed the box and slid it over to his side of the desk and peeked in. There at the bottom of the box were six journals identical to the one that laid on his desk. Just based on how they looked, it would appear that they were from a long time ago. On the other hand, it didn't appear that they had ever been written in besides the first seven days, all being filled out with various situations and details, none of which seemed to be interconnected. Just so I've got my facts straight, we've got this guy locked up in a cell. He ain't had any visitors or other unexpected occurrences. Dr. White answered, Yes, that's right. And this guy is in a near comatose state? Les said as Stacy closed the door on her way out. Seth curled up, 
his body close to the detective's desk. Yes, that's right. It's been a few days since he woke up last. Sheila interjected. And every seven days since he's arrived, these damn journals show up in his hands during our daily inspection. No one matching the names found in the journals has been reported as missing or killed. Gives me the creeps. Les had a similar feeling, especially considering how they found him initially. Let's stick to what we know here, okay? I don't enjoy having what I can only assume is me being mentioned either. Sit down and let's focus. Sheila moved around the chair she was holding onto and promptly sat down. <sighs> You're right. In all my years, I've not had anything quite like this happen in the ward. Seems all three of us are mentioned to some degree, Seth said as he got comfortable. All the other journals have been picked over with a fine-toothed comb. No records of other people mentioned. Les continued to stare down at the journals as his cigarette finally burned itself out. Edgar, or at least that's what they assumed his name is, was first brought in 50 days ago now. The man did not have any identification on him, and there were no records that could definitively identify him. Les, Seth, and Sheila then began to analyze the events that had transpired so far. During the arrest and since, Edgar had not said a single word or given any type of resistance. To make things more interesting, or less so by some measure, he's had the same routine. The day of his arrest, he seemed alert and paid attention to everything that was happening around him. With each passing day until the 5th, it appears as if his mental faculties were slowly diminishing until the sixth day. On the sixth day of the cycle, he would not wake up, even with some of the facilities even with some of the facilities best doctors weighing in, nothing could be found to cause this, and the medications he was given seemed to have no effect. And the medications he was given seemed to have no effect. However, on the seventh day of the cycle, Edgar would sit cross-legged in his cell, rocking back and forth while looking down at the ground. On these days, he refused to eat, drink, or anything else. It was recorded that on his 21st day in custody, he soiled himself, apparently even refusing to use the bathroom like he should, though this is the only documented case of this happening so far. Les, while lighting a new cigarette, said, So... Let's go over the night he was found. The responding unit's report says, Subject was found rocking while sitting amongst what we assumed was his victim. He was looking up at the ceiling of the room with a very large grin on his face. Subject was completely naked, with an unidentified and decomposing canine head sitting in his lap. What about the forensic team? Any, any new word from them? Dr. White responded, Nothing yet. The only journal to mention any canines is from journal number six, and in that one, that appears to be his love interest. With each of these journals, there seems to be at least one person who he fantasizes about having sex with. Sheila then visibly shook, as if a chill ran up her spine. His description from day six and day seven seems to be identical, with only the person named being interchanged. At this, Seth interjected. Yes, 
But if you look back at day one, the writings are that of a child. It's so innocent. And mentions taking a bus to school and playing with his friends. What happened between day one and day two? Could the journals be a record of past events? And the seventh day, a prediction of sorts. Les paused for a moment to consider this before speaking again. It's possible, but none of the people named throughout the journals have been reported missing or killed. No obituaries. Even the three bodies found at the scene of Edgar's arrest were, were completely unidentified. No matching dental records, no matching descriptions, or what brief description could be gathered from the state of the bodies, and no identifying scars or tattoos. The forensics team even found a mostly intact arm with a complete sleeve tattoo. Nothing could be linked to anyone alive or dead. Just after saying this, the phone could be heard ringing in the next room where Stacy was sitting and a muffled greeting could be heard through the walls. Les sighed as he could only imagine what he could be getting a phone call for so late in the evening. Excuse me, it seems as if I'm about to get a call to take. Les began to get up from his chair, but as soon as he became steady on his feet, the power was cut. Darkness and an unsettling silence fell over the office. The only sound that could be heard was a small scream from Stacy in the other room. Even the lights and sounds surrounding the office were muted and snuffed out. After what felt like a short eternity, Stacy called out, Hey, uh, boss, you guys okay in there? But there was no reply to be found. Stacy could feel her blood pressure increasing as she slowly reached into her desk drawer to get her flashlight out. It wasn't uncommon for this particular block of the city to experience power outages, particularly with heavy rain, but something in the air felt… off. Her senses heightened to a degree that she had not experienced since her younger days, when even the shadows had scared her. Turning on a flashlight, she pointed it directly at Detective Baker's door. The shine of the light reflecting off of the various surfaces illuminated her small office decently well. But being nighttime, Stacy felt like she had been teleported to a different world. It wasn't often she was at the office so late, especially when there's a power outage. Uh, Les? You okay in there? Stacy called out once again, but again, there was no reply. After a moment, Stacy worked up the courage to move from around her desk. It wasn't like Les to not answer her unless he was deeply focused on a case. Only once, Stacy had caught Les taking a nap, but that was after a long night and a troublesome case. But again, this had all happened during the daytime. The sun was shining through the windows and the sound of cars and people could be heard. Now, however, those sounds were missing. It felt as if the world had ceased to function. Stacy slowly made her way to the detective's door and knocked. Still no reply from the other side. Stacy then reached for the doorknob while calling out once again, Les, Dr. White, Seth, answer, answer me please. You know I'm not a fan of being scared. Stacy then opened the door and shined her flashlight inside. 
This was not Detective Baker's office. This wasn't even the police station. Stacy was very confused at what was before her. It was as if she had opened a door into a small apartment building. What the hell? Stacy thought to herself. Making sure she wasn't going crazy, she turned around, and she was still standing inside of the reception area of the detective's offices. But looking back, it was a staircase in the middle, a door to the left and right below, and a door to the left and right at the top of the stairs. Stacy stood absolutely still as she tried desperately to make sense of what she was seeing before her. After a few more moments passed, she stepped inside. And just as she passed the doorway, the door shut behind her without warning. Fuck no, no, no! Raced through Stacy's mind. She tried desperately, but quietly, to get the door back open, but it would not budge. This was just like the old horror movies that her friends and she used to enjoy so long ago. She remembered how many times she had screamed at the screen, Don't go in! This time, she was the one being trapped. While her mind raced with all the possibilities of what could or would happen, she suddenly began to hear the sounds of grunting coming from the rooms upstairs. Even though it was muffled, since it was the only sound that could be heard, it was easy for Stacy to determine where it was coming from. Again, Stacy tried to open the door she had just entered from, but there was no change. Her way back was blocked. Stacy then stopped and thought to herself, What am I doing? I'm an adult and this is real life. I'm a damn police officer, for fuck's sake. After more self-confidence boosting thoughts, she decided she needed to find out what it was she was hearing and possibly figure a way out of here. It seemed her answer would come from wherever the muffled grunting was coming from. Slowly, she let go of the doorknob and turned around to face the stairs. It was only now that she really took in her surroundings. The black and white checkered board floor was filthy and grimy. The off-white walls looked as if water had run down them as there were streaks of slightly more white areas. And then there was the smell. Taking it into her nostrils, Stacy could smell mildew, dust, and smoke. Another deep breath revealed the faint, acrid scent of dried blood and the distinct smell of semen. She shuddered, thinking about what could lie before her. But she had to get out of here. Her kids and her husband needed her, and she needed them. They meant everything to her. Stacy, finding her resolve from deep down inside, began to make her way up the staircase to find out what was making the grunting sounds from the upstairs room. She worried that the sound of her hooves would clack too loudly or the stairs would creak as she made her way up, but there wasn't any sound that could be heard. The closer to the top that she came, the louder the sound of the grunting became. Once she got to the top, she turned to the right and faced the dark green apartment door before her. With a trembling hand, she slowly reached for the doorknob, yet stopped short of turning it. Stacy drew in a deep breath while thoughts of her family and what could be behind this door danced through her mind. Then she sighed. 
There's no turning back, even if I wanted to. Taking only a moment longer to steal her nerves, she turned the knob and pushed the door open. As the maw of the doorway opened further and the light of the flashlight illuminated the inner room, the first sights of what Stacy feared came into view. At first glance, it was as if someone had taken several buckets of blood and threw them around the room at random. The light glistened off the still, slowly flowing crimson liquid as it ran down the walls and continued to pull on the floor. Stacy instinctively put her palm in front of her mouth, mostly out of shock, but partly to keep from being sick. Small chunks of random viscera broke up the slowly growing puddle. And then Stacy saw Seth's body, or rather, what was left. Just to the left of the entryway, Seth's body was flayed open from jaw to tail tip, hanging from a meat hook attached to the ceiling, and his face was pointing directly at the door. Stacy nearly let out a shriek of terror at the sight. The red boa was completely eviscerated, and Stacy could only assume that it was his innards that painted this room. This isn't real. This can't be real she thought to herself, continuing to make her way into the room. As she navigated further into the apartment, try as she might, she couldn't help but step into the gore that surrounded her. Stacy's stomach began to churn in a way she's never felt before. Straight into the apartment led to a hallway, and from there, Stacy could see into the kitchen area. Though there was some blood in this room, the oven was the most prominent thing she could see. It appeared as if there had been a fire in the kitchen that emanated from the oven. The walls were charred black. Soot had spread from the back wall and to the entryway of the kitchen and dining areas. As Stacy turned to the right to view the dining area, she saw her former boss slumped back in a chair. From what Stacy could discern, on the table lay the charred remains of Detective Baker's coat and hat, with smoke still wafting upwards and embers still smoldering with a faint glow. In the chair behind the table sat Les Baker, completely hideless. As Stacy slowly shined the light further up the wall, the pelt was plastered on the wall and ceiling behind him. The front of the corpse looked singed, but the sides were still oozing out the innards of his body. It was as if the pelt had been blasted off the body from a powerful explosion. Tears began to form at the corner of Stacy's eyes at the sight of her former boss in this state. Please no, this can't be happening. What the hell is happening? The scenario in which she found herself looked and felt like the worst horror movie imaginable. But, as much as she tried to deny it, Stacy knew this was real. Her senses were filled to the brim with her surroundings. Her mind continued to race with questions that there were simply no answers to. Stacy was rushed back to reality as the sound of the grunting she had heard earlier got louder and more intense without warning. The goat turned back out of the entryway of the kitchen and dining area and faced toward the back bedroom where the sounds were coming from. Every hair on Stacy's body was telling her to run, but she knew there was nowhere to escape to. 
She had been trapped from the moment she entered this building, and it was almost enough for her prey instincts to freeze her in place. As she started down the hallway, she noted that the flooring changed from hard to soft. To her relief, when she pointed her light downward, it was just carpet. Bloodstained nonetheless, but not the viscera that her mind first imagined. This small comfort brought her some ease as she finally reached the door where the sounds were coming from. Slowly and carefully, Stacy opened the door and pointed her light inward. The room was small and her light illuminated nearly the entire room. In one corner, the body of a naked and decapitated Dr. White hung from a meat hook, still twitching and swaying slightly. On the other, a pile of antique, leather-bound journals piled at least waist-high. And directly in front of Stacy was Edgar, leaning backward on his knees on top of the bed, staring up at the ceiling with a massive smile on his face. In his hands before him, he was holding the head of Dr. White with his massive cock impaled through her skull, flared with thick streams of cum still dripping off. Stacy was so shocked by what she saw, she froze, fear locking her every muscle, her prey instincts now gaining the upper hand. She had to run. She must run. And yet, her body simply would not move, either out of fear or some mystical paralysis. Edgar, with his head still completely back, turned it in an unnatural 90-degree twist to face Stacy directly. His eyes were completely black, and his teeth and mouth had transformed from a normal zebra muzzle into a twisted amalgamation of predator and prey. Edgar continued to smile widely, looking directly at Stacy, and with a final grunt and thrust of his hips, a long stream of jizz shot out of the head of his flared cock, splattering grotesquely onto the wall before joining the mess surrounding him. Edgar then spoke, but it was not his voice. You do not belong here. The words pierced into Stacy's mind and broke the otherwise complete silence that this place seemed to have. After a moment, Stacy mustered the ability to speak. Are, are you going to kill me? I, can I leave? Her voice quivered fiercely as she pushed the words out. I, I, I don't want to die. My kids. Kill you? Oh no, my dear, you aren't to be killed. I never said you could come in, yet, here you are. Maybe... Edgar spoke before lifting his hand and began to wave towards Stacy with only his fingers. As Stacy stared at Edgar, her vision slowly began to fade. The last thing Stacy heard before passing out completely was Edgar saying, Maybe you can be useful. Stacy jolted awake, now laying on a gurney staring at the fluorescent lights in the ceiling. Her arms and legs were strapped down tight as she attempted to struggle against the bands. Then she stopped to listen. Her ears could pick up the sounds of other people and medical monitors beeping at various intervals. 
Maybe it was all just a bad dream. But why am I in a hospital? Just as the thought crossed her mind, a nurse entered her room. The young cheetah nurse slowly walked up to her bed while speaking. Miss Wyndham, are you awake? she asked. Stacy's throat felt parched as she began to speak. Yeah, yeah, I just woke up. Well, that's good. Do you know where you are? The nurse further asked. No, I, I, I don't know, Stacy replied. The nurse then picked up a clipboard that was attached to the side of Stacy's bed. I'm sorry, but I can't give you any more information, but let me get the detective. He's at the nurse's station now. After putting the clipboard down, the nurse turned and left the room. A wave of relief. A wave of relief flooded over Stacy's mind. The detective was alive, so that must mean it was all a dream. Thoughts of her husband and kids then flooded into her mind. She was so terrified that she thought she would never see them again. And Dr. White and Seth, all still alive and breathing. Stacy could just barely hear the nurse speaking to someone, but it couldn't make out what was being said. Then the sounds of dress shoes making their way towards where she was at. She knew the sound of those shoes from years of working with Detective Baker. They made a distinct clack with each of his footfalls. However, the person who walked into Stacy's room wasn't Detective Baker. It wasn't even a detective that she recognized, and she knew everyone on the force. This person was too tall and didn't have the little bits of mane that normally stuck out from underneath the coat like Detective Baker. As this detective removed his hat, the blood flushed away from her face and a chill ran up her spine as her mind tried to make sense of what was happening. The person before her was Edgar. He spoke. This is my journal, and this is my reality. You will be my new vessel. <laughs> and with that, we have reached the end of The Vessel's Journal by Takem Ironhoof. I do hope you've enjoyed tonight's spooky tale. It was certainly a fun story to write, and it was certainly a fun story to read. I know that this story doesn't fit into the normal pattern of our show, but being that it's Halloween, I wanted to present something that was a little against the rules. So, I do hope you enjoyed. Good night, and come again.